You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Amen. Good morning. Good. You guys are awake today? Um, I've just been so moved, so encouraged um, by what the Lord has been doing among us this summer. Um, a lot of times, if you think about the ebbs and flows of um, the seasons, especially here in Ames, when you have 30,000 students leave, um, there's a tendency over summer for us to just kind of ease up and coast through summer. And um, But I've just been encouraged that uh, we've really just been running after it and seeing God do some just amazing things, incredible things among us this summer. And um, I don't know about you, I just I want to steward his presence well. You know, there's a spirit that dwells in each one of us, and um, that's our salvation that comes through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. But then there's a, his presence that comes and dwells among us as a people, as a corporate body. And uh, there are things that we can do to keep him at bay or keep him out, but I want it to be said of us that we did, we did what we had to do to steward and honor the presence of God among us. Amen. So we can take a moment just now. Let's, let's just pray. I know we've been praying a lot. This is church. Um, and, and so let's just turn again, just turn our attention, our focus to him right now. Just turn your attention, turn your eyes towards Jesus. Lord, we honor you in this place, King Jesus. Lord, we long for your presence. Lord, we long for people to know the love of a father. We long for people to experience the power that comes when you move upon a people. But Lord, we just we pray that you'd remove all complacency from our midst. Uh, you'd remove any um, any attitude of yeah, I've had an, I've had just about enough. It's I'm good with where I'm at. But Lord, that we would always, always be looking for you for more. Not like this striving, uh, twisting your arm. But Father, there's always more. You always invite us into more. God, may we steward your presence well. We long for a move of God in Ames like, the, like our region has never seen before in Jesus' name. Not so that we could be given any glory, but Lord, that people could be drawn to you. Or like we sang earlier, that the, the people could see the Son of God being lifted up among a people. That Jesus would be made known. Jesus, so Lord, again, right now, we just turn our attention, our affection all to you, King Jesus. All to you, King Jesus. All to you, King Jesus. All of the glory, God, is yours. All of the honor is yours, Jesus. High above any person, any organization, it's you, Jesus. You're still the only answer. You're still the only answer, Jesus. It's only you. There's nothing else. There's nothing else but you, King Jesus. We just love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Come on, just continue in your heart. I just feel like the Lord, even without music right now, the Lord wants to begin to stir stir your heart and draw you into something new. Lord, come. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love you, Lord. We long for your presence. We long for more of you, Jesus. For more of you. Make yourself known here today, Lord. Make yourself known here today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of our core values as a church is authenticity. We, we value an authentic, authentic relationship with one another, 
authentic conversation and we value an, an authentic move of God when the presence of God comes, not, not, not something that we've stirred up among ourselves or conjured up. Um, you know, there, there are strategies to growing a church. You know, I've sat in all kinds of meetings that says, do this, do these things, and you'll attract more people. And, man, I just, I believe God wants so much more than us than just to see how many people we can cram into a room on Sundays. You know, I, we, we want to grow. We want people to come. But listen, if it's, if we, if it's grown by the, the strategies of man, it's got to be maintained by the strategies of man. But if it's grown by the Lord, man, it's sustained by him. It's stained, sustained by him. And when I think about the generations to come, when all of us in this room are, are, are dead and gone, what did we gift them with? I want to gift the next generation with a hunger and a passion for the things of the Lord, with a, a hunger and a passion for his presence. And not just spiritual activity. It can be dangerous. You know, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts through his Holy Spirit. Through his Holy Spirit. One of the ways that we can encounter the love of God is by the presence of God, or the, his presence, the Holy Spirit, among us in a place. Last, last Sunday, if you weren't here, you missed out. You missed out. I'm sorry, but you missed out. The Holy Spirit was ministering to our hearts through his presence, showing us the love of God through who he is. What a gift that is to the next generation that I, I can't just say, here, do all these things. Fulfill all these obligations. Submit to these traditions. And traditions aren't bad in themselves, but they're not an end. Or they're, they're, not, a, they're, they're not a means to an end. They're, 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 they're some, we'll get into that a different day. But instead, we give the next generation a hunger for the things of God, for who he is. It's through the Holy Spirit that we can experience the love of God. The love of God has been poured out through his Holy Spirit. You know, I used to lead a, a, a campus minister at the University of Iowa, sorry. Um, and the first couple of years we were planting, there was just a, a handful of us students. Or not, I wasn't a student, but the students. And I remember, you know, trying to cast vision for the things of the future. And I'm 28 years old. And I don't know anything. And... I'm like, man, we're going to change the world. We're going to change the world. I remember looking, them looking around this room. There's like, there's 12 of us here, you know? And I remember always just asking that question, well, why, why not us, though? Why not us? And it was such a beautiful time in, in, in our lives because there was just a few of us. There was nothing to prove to anyone. We met in this tiny little chapel on campus, if you've ever been to the University of Iowa. Um, there's this little chapel. It's like, it's, it's maybe the size of our family lounge. just tiny. The door... Um, there was no lobby, so the door would just open to the outside. And so we could be in the middle of worship in the middle of the winter, and it's like nice, and someone would open up the door to come in late, and the, the, the Arctic winds would just rush in. Not, not the presence of God, but the Arctic winds would come, rush into that place, and we would all look back and see, oh, somebody's late, okay. And then it had this, this um, it had uh, radiant heat, so, but there were really, really old pipes, and so throughout the whole time, you'd hear, It'd be like the best part of the message, and all of a sudden, bing! It was beyond distracting, but there was something beautiful, beautifully raw about those times, especially when we would just worship. It was just me and a guitar, and we would just worship, and the presence of God would come in that place, in that little chapel. 
the presence of God would come. And there was this, one, one time there was this young lady who came. She was invited by a friend and she came. And I remember looking out and seeing during worship, she's just weeping as we're, we're, we're singing about the love of Jesus. She just begins weeping. Throughout the message, she's weeping. And at the, the very end, I give her a, a response to the word of who wants to give their life to the Lord. And she raised her, raised her hand and gave her heart to Jesus. And I talked to her afterwards, and I, I just asked her what was going on during service, and she said, I've never been to church before. But she said, I just started to feel love like I never felt love before when you guys started to sing. The love of God has been poured into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. That's why we have to steward his presence well. There's a principle in a scripture, or in the kingdom, that says, you who have been faithful with little will be given much. And there are many obstacles and roadblocks that we can create to keep the presence of God at bay or to drive him away. God is always moving. Did you know that? He's never just sitting on his hands. His word says that, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm, being hold, I'm doing a new thing. So what happens with, with man is that God begins to move. And we think, oh, this is really, really great. We must be special. And so God is doing something. But then what happens is we start to enshrine methods. We start to lift up organizations and, and people. And we start to get entrenched in this spot and say, God moved this way, so this is the only way that he moves, and it's the only way that he's going to move. Meanwhile, God has moved on over here. And the presence of God has left, and we're still here in the same spot. And one of the greatest concerns that I would have for us here is that we would go on with a lot of religious activity, but God's presence has moved on. That his, his presence isn't here among us. A message isn't going to save anyone's life. The worship of songs isn't going to worship, or in worship isn't going to save anyone's life. It's the presence of God that comes in those moments, that changes a heart, that transforms a soul. It's his presence. It's him. And our eyes need to stay focused and fixed on Jesus. Otherwise, there's something that happens in us as human beings is there's a pharisaical heart that rises up, this religious, lifeless life where it's all about what we can do for him. It's about going through the motions. You know, Jesus was very gracious throughout the, when we read about his life. He's very gracious with the sinners, with those who recognize their need for a savior. But who is he very harsh with? It's the Pharisees, the, those who know better, the religious elites of the day. He says, oh, to you hypocrites. In our day, hypocrite means we've defined it as something a little different. A lot of times when people say, well, church is, is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. And what people, I can understand what people are, are meaning. They're meaning like we're all, we've all, we're all trying to serve the Lord, but we, none of us are perfect. We're, we still, uh, you know, we'll sin from time to time, but we're all, we're all trying hard. And, and, and that's true. Right? But Jesus, that's not, that's not how Jesus used it. The word that Jesus used in the, in the Greek, the hypocrite, it means a play actor, one who's just reading from a script. Jesus called them hypocrites, brood of vipers. He said, You are like, he quoted Isaiah 29, which is a prophecy about the Pharisees. He says, you, These people acknowledge me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In Matthew 23, which is the woes, the seven woes to the Pharisees, it's a scathing indictment on this religious, lifeless life. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you're beautiful, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. 
and that, if that doesn't define man-made, lifeless religion, I don't know what does, that we've worked so hard to appease people with the outward facade, but on the inside is full of dead man's bones. The good news is that the Lord had grace for the Pharisees, and there were Pharisees that we read about that came to know Jesus as in, and had actually had relationship with him and became followers. And one of the ways that he dealt with the Pharisees was by telling these parables, stories, that those who were truly hungry, hungry would, would, would begin to understand, and those who were hard-hearted were just even more confused. Um, like I said, in Matthew 23, Jesus is uh, very harsh, but there are other moments where Jesus tells fair, uh, parables um, as an act of love to these Pharisees. And so, man, we're running out of time. We can turn to Luke chapter 18. Sarah, this isn't going to be on the screen in front of you. We're going to switch gears a little bit here. That pharisaical heart can be poisoned to a church, to a body of people. The attitude of self-righteousness, pride. I once met, met with a young man, became friends with a young man who um, had given his heart to the Lord. This is not at this church. This is someplace else. And uh, this, young, this man had recently gotten out of prison and he would meet with me. We would meet together in my office and he would just weep over his sin. He'd weep over the things that he had done in his life. And I, I, I try to think of a, a time where I saw so much brokenness over and shame over the sin, such a repentant heart for the things that he had done. And we began to walk together and, and begin to read the, the word and pray together and allow the Lord to minister to his heart. And um, he joined a life group and got involved. I remember the Sunday he got baptized. It was such a beautiful a beautiful moment of like someone who is an actual criminal turning from the things of this world and turning towards Jesus, that he literally would come before the Lord and say, God, I have nothing to give you. I have nothing to offer you but my life. And he began to serve and just the joy of the Lord began to fill his life. It was amazing. Well, there were some within our church that found out about his record and, uh, began to say, they came to me and said, you know, we heard about this man's past and I don't know that I feel safe coming to church with a guy like that here. And I don't know that I feel safe bringing my kids here if a man like that is gonna be here. They soon, some people went to this man and told him they didn't feel comfortable with him there. So like many people would, he didn't, feel welcome, and so he, he ended up leaving, even though I, I begged him to stay. Uh, I remember being broken up by that, and uh, I remember asking myself the question and then asking other people, do we actually believe in the gospel? 
Like, do we really believe in God's transforming ability for a heart, for a life? Because if we don't, then what is this? What even is this? It's just an empty philosophy. It is just dead religion, and it's pointless. But if God has the power to change a life, if God can change my life, if God can change your life in this room, there is no one that he cannot change their life. And listen, I, I believe in um, say, uh, safety. I believe in, in keeping our kids safe. I have three young kids of my own, and one of the priorities of my life is to keep, the, keep them safe. And that's why we do the things that we do down in Kids Point. And that's why we, uh, we have a safety team. I believe all of that. But I believe that God can change a life. God can change a heart. And if a person is truly repentant, there's room for anyone here. And I, I, our prayer here has been, God, send us the hungry ones. Send us the hungry ones. And when, God, when the hungry ones come, they're not always going to look like us. They're not all going to have the same background as us. They're all going to have different paths than us. But we say, God, send us the hungry one. And God begins to change a heart. But there's something that happens in us is when, when, we, when we experience the grace of God, there's something that can happen over time if we're not careful. That pharisaical heart can begin to rise up within us. When he's taken us out of the muck and he's set us up on the, on, the, in the, in the, on the broad place, like the scripture says, and he's cleaned us up and he's picked us up. And after a while, we're doing well. We don't have the same issues we once had. We can start to feel pretty good about ourselves. Say, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. It must be because I'm doing all the right things. It must be because God is very happy with me. I must be special. What does Ephesians 2 say? It said, it's by grace that you have been saved and not of yourselves. It is by grace that you have been saved and not of yourselves. There is nothing that I can do to save myself but come before this almighty God and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Change my life. God, I give you my heart. I give you everything that I have. Change me. And that is every one of our stories. And there's this beautiful thing that happens as we walk with God. There's this paradox in the kingdom that as we grow up in him and maturity in him, we also grow in our dependence on him. We grow in our childlikeness as we grow in maturity with God. We don't grow more self-sufficient. That's when self-righteousness and a critical heart can rise up within us. And so Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 18 and he's having, this is him having mercy on the Pharisees, but he tells this, this, um, this parable in, in verse 9 of the parable that the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus uses these parables often where they're, it's like very exaggerated. He's very, using extremes. So Pharisees were considered the respected, the, um, the religious leaders of the day that everyone looked to for the answers. And tax collectors were uh, betrayers. They were, they were, um, I wouldn't say the Judases because they wouldn't have known that back then, but they were, the, they, they were the most detestable because they betrayed their own people and worked for the Roman government. Stole from their own people. They were reviled. And so Jesus starts out in verse 9 by saying this, to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. So I don't think any one of us, hopefully, actually has those thoughts saying, I, I think I'm better than everybody else, or I'm really confident in my righteousness. I'm doing pretty good on my own. 
if we've come to this place that we've arrived, that we feel like we've arrived, man, Lord, Lord, help us. We need to get down on our face before the Lord and say, God, it is you who saves. It is you who changes. It's you who turned my life around, and it's you who's going to continue to turn my life around. It's only you. The moment we become, uh, uh, um, the moment we become confident in our own righteousness, we've already started to slide down. A.W. Tozer, I believe he said, those who have sought to defend themselves have only themselves as a defender. But you, whose God is your defender, have no, no one less but God Almighty to defend you. So Jesus says, those who are confident in their own righteousness look down on everyone else. So Jesus told this parable. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. This Pharisee, it says he stood by himself. This isn't him getting alone to pray. This is him distinguishing himself from everybody else. He's, he's stepping into this place of honor. He wants to be seen as something in the eyes of men. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6 when he talks, gives this instruction on how to pray. He says the Pharisees love to pray these, pray, these long prayers. Sometimes we can equate the length of, uh, of our prayers with spirituality. It's more, it must be, mean it's more spiritual. But they wanted to be seen as something as the eyes of, uh, the eyes of, in the eyes of men. So this man wasn't separated by the holiness of God. He was separating himself and saying, look at how great I am. Aren't you all impressed with me? And he began to pray this prayer. And it's just this hyperbolic prayer where he's saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector begin to compare himself. I used to do this to myself as I would say, I would give myself a free pass on things that the Lord was convicting me about because I'm like, Lord, at least I'm not doing drugs anymore, right? So what if I smoke? Whatever. At least I'm not smoking crack anymore, you know? Isn't that good? That's good, right? Or I have this bad attitude in my heart. Okay, well, at least I'm not punching people in the face anymore. Isn't that better? Isn't that good? Or it's like, okay, it's good to recognize how far we've come, right? But not to give us a free pass, but we can do this to other people. We, there's always someone worse off, and there's always somebody better than you, right? Or that's further along is maybe a better way to put it. There's always someone to compare ourselves to, and God's not comparing us to anyone else. But we can say, well, I'm not robbing like those people. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 addresses what? The attitudes of the heart. He says, and that's really what he's getting at here, the attitudes of the heart. He says, if it's, it's one thing to just commit adultery, but if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you hate your brother, it's like murder. Because what? All these things start in the attitude of the heart. That's why we're being renewed day by day. We're, the, the Spirit of God is, is crucifying that flesh in us every single day. We're being renewed day by day by day because that flesh has a way of creeping up. We can be robbers of people's joy. We can steal time from our job. Evildoers just means someone who's opposed to good. We could have wrong attitudes in our heart. Adulterers, we could be in love with the things of this world. We could love other things greater than we love God. Or even like this tax collectors. You know, every single one of us has betrayed the Lord. 
Every single one of us has turned our back on him, even after we've walked with him. But the Lord has invited us in, and he welcomes us back in. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? He welcomes us back. And then he says, and I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. In Jewish culture, it was only um, required that people fast once a year. And that they only give a tenth of some of, there was a certain, certain grains, certain things that they were supposed to tithe. But he's saying, look it, I tithe everything that I get. And I fast twice a week. Look at all these amazing things I'm doing for God. I said this last week, but if the things that we're doing for God become more important than him, we're off track. Worship team, you can come. And then he contrasts it so this, this, this Pharisee, the eyes are, his eyes are completely on himself. He's praying this prayer, but it's not about the Lord. It's, it's about himself. He's so fixated and self-involved. And then we have this tax collector in verse 13. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I love that this tax collector, the first thing that he does is recognize God and the holiness and the perfection of God. He says, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. And this is what Jesus is getting at. This heart before him that is dependent on the Lord, that God, I can do nothing apart from you. You are the vine, I am the branch. We are the branches. We can do nothing apart from you. And even as we walk with him for longer, we still come to him, not with this place of like groveling at his feet, but of dependence on him that says, Lord, it's you, it's only you. And so Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who, hum, who, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Hmm. To be seen as something in the eyes of man is a fruitless venture. It is a never-ending cycle. It will never be enough. Pro trying to prove your own self-righteous, your own righteousness will always, for, uh, will always fall short. The Bible says in Isaiah that our, our righteousness is like filthy rags in his presence. Our very best is like filthy rags. It's not even close to being good enough. But again, Ephesians 2 says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's so much more than just a bunch of religious activity. We obey because we love. We, lo we obey because we love. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus in the... He says, not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But what many will say to me on that day, Lord, haven't we cast out demons in your name, done mighty wonders and miracles in your name? And I will say, depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, I never knew you. I never knew you. That word gnosko, the, the word new, the Greek is gnosko. It means to intimately know like a husband knows a wife. What does he want? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. You know, when I got married to my wife, 
I'm like, sweetheart, I love you, but I'm a pastor and I don't have any money. I don't have anything to give you, but I can give you my heart. And I thank God that's all she wanted. That's all she wanted. And that's all the Lord wants from you is your heart. And it's out of your heart for him and your love for him. We, we walk in obedience to the things of God. But it's not out of striving and trying to perform for him or make ourselves good enough. But instead, I'm in covenant with you, Lord, and I want to please you. And everything I do in this life is for you, Jesus. My eyes are fixed on, your, on him and not yourself. Even as we sang that song, when, when Scott and I were, we, we began to sing that song together one day when we were writing it, it was like, I had that picture of like, of us looking down at all these things or even ourselves and just like looking, just it was like thrusting up to heaven, like fixing my eyes on Jesus, fixing my eyes. And I feel collectively as a people, that's the season that we're in. We're, we're taking our eyes off of all these things that aren't even necessarily bad. They're just lesser. And fixing our eyes on this one, this king who can change it all, who can transform and do more than we could think or imagine. Amen? Would you stand across this place? We're going to respond to Jesus this morning. I want to ask a question this morning, and uh, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and it's not to embarrass you or call you out or make you do anything weird, but I want to I want to pray for you so we can bow our heads across this place. If you're here this morning and maybe you're like I once was, I was far away from the Lord, a slave to myself, and you need to get your life right with the Lord, or maybe you used to have a relationship with God, but it's grown cold and stagnant, and you need to get your life right with Jesus this morning, would you just put a hand up? I want to, I want to pray for you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you didn't raise your hand and you needed to, it doesn't matter if it's the first time or the thousandth time that you gave your life to the Lord. He just wants your heart. He just wants your life. He just wants all of you. I'm going to pray a prayer and I want you to agree with me in your heart. I want you to say a prayer like it. Lord, today I recognize that I'm far away from you. But Jesus, I need you. I need you. You're the only answer. It's only you, Lord. So Lord, I just turn my back on the on the enemy. I turn my back on the things of this world. And now I've, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to uh, follow you wholeheartedly today and for the rest of my life as long as I have breath in Jesus name I thank you for the gift of salvation that comes only through the blood of Jesus I apply it to my life and I say wash me, wash me clean in Jesus name and Holy Spirit come and take residence in my heart, in my life, changing me and transforming me from the inside out in Jesus name in Jesus name if that was you, if you gave your life to the Lord, it's this is a big deal. It's the best and biggest decision that you'll ever make, but it, it's going to require something from you. It's going to require that you get in his word every single day. Not because it's impressed you, because this is what's going to feed your soul. If you're just getting fed at church, you're going to be famished. But you need to get in the word every single day. You need to pray every single day. You need to get connected in, in God's, in his community, in this fellowship. Get plugged in to people that love Jesus, that have walked with him, 
Amen. Let's just respond, church. Would you just begin to turn your eyes to Jesus right now? Can we just sing that again? Be lifted up. I know it's in a different key, but can we sing that? Let's sing this together. Just that that chorus. Be lifted up. And I, I want in your own in your eye, just in your mind's eye, in your imagination of your heart, just begin to imagine yourself just turning from all those things in your life and just focusing on Jesus. And everything else in this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, like the, the song says. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.